This is Until All We're Free. I'm your host, Preston Goff. Hey, I want to start out with a question. Have you ever noticed the option to report or flag a post for review on social media? It's not always obvious. Sometimes it's hidden in that small submenu. You know the one. It, it's right behind those three dots that you see attached to a post or a tweet. I've always known that the option exists, and truthfully, I've used it before to report accounts that are clearly spam. And I've been tempted, and maybe I'm not alone in this, to use that button to take action against things that I just don't agree with or find annoying, but I know better. The truth is that the process of reporting something to the social giants, that's Meta and their companies, Facebook and Instagram, and then Twitter and LinkedIn, you get it. It's this critical element of the way that these companies manage and monitor the community guidelines that they have in place. Facebook, for instance, says that when something gets reported, they'll review it manually by a real human and remove anything that doesn't follow their community standards. They'll also keep your report confidential, which means that the account you reported won't see who reported them, unless you're reporting an incident of intellectual property infringement. So account holders, that's definitely me, maybe it's you, on all of the major social platforms, play an integral part in keeping the platform safe and operating by the code of ethics and legal guidelines set forth in each platform's own standards. It's a see something, say something paradigm. It's a great reminder for each of us involved in a digital community. But what happens when it doesn't work out? What about the content that is effective at hiding the illicit or sinister activity below the surface of a veneer of innocence? What happens to that content? And how do we combat activities that don't initially trigger a red flag, but may be hiding exploitation and even human trafficking? Now, the full answer is far more complex than what I would attempt to cover in this episode. And truthfully, I just don't understand it all. But I do know that over the past year, I've celebrated with my team at the Exodus Road as we've learned of rescues taking place at the far corners of our globe. And alarmingly, I've seen more and more of these cases mention a trafficker's use of social media to coerce victims, to entice potential clients, and to advertise exploitative services. November 2020, Operation Schoolboys. Traffickers in Thailand had recruited four boys on Facebook with the lure of making good money in a legitimate but opaque job. They were later advertised on Twitter for 1,500 baht, or about $50 in the US. April 2021, Operation Shield. TER investigators discovered a teenage girl being offered for sale on Twitter. May 2021, Operation Hatai. 17-year-old PD was being sold on Twitter, but today she's free. September 2021, Operation Aspire, a 17-year-old boy freed in Thailand after being advertised on Twitter. December 2021, Operation Thread, 16-year-old Chessa was offered for sale on Twitter. Further investigations found two other minors exploited by the same trafficker. All three were rescued by Thai police utilizing intelligence gathered by the Exodus Roads Alpha Team. So how are our operatives at the Exodus Road leveraging their social prowess to investigate and document human trafficking crime and to build cases that ultimately lead to the removal of boys and girls, men and women from exploitative circumstances? 
How do they build cases that lead to the arrest and prosecution of those who are exploitive? Today's episode in two parts. First, I'll introduce you to Karn, our country director in Thailand. He's going to share some stories from his team's experience in the fight against human trafficking on social media in 2021. At times, you'll hear me jump in to ask questions about and offer clarity around the stories that he has to share. Then I'll bring the conversation back to the U.S. and we'll talk with our CEO and co-founder, Laura Parker, to hear about one practical step that everyone can take to help protect those vulnerable to human trafficking in our families, neighborhoods, communities, and world. But first, here's Karn to share about our intervention efforts by our team in Thailand. One quick note, we'll be discussing stories involving the exploitation of minors on today's episode. I think it's an important conversation especially for those that are trying to navigate the modern world while parenting or mentoring children and teens. But if you're listening to this episode around kids, maybe pop in a set of headphones. Also, you know yourself best, and if you need to sit out of this episode, I'd encourage you to do so. Mm-hmm. Okay, I start. Uh, with the extra download uh, on January this this year, uh, with the position for the country director, and with this position, I have to take care of the teams. Uh, we call the Alpha team in Thailand. We have member around eleven people, uh huh, and we separate in three teams. Karn has worked as the country director for our Thailand team at the Exodus Road since January of 2021. Our Thai, or Alpha, as we call it, team is composed of three sub-teams that are dispersed across the country. One team operates in the north, another team is based in the east, and then the final team is based in a city near Bangkok. That's how form our team in, in Thailand. Um, so you just started with us in January, but I know that mm-hmm. the, the team has been very busy. There have been lots of cases. Yes. I wonder if you could just tell me Maybe just pick a case in the last year that has involved like investigation on Twitter or social media and just tell me about that. Maybe one that's like really impactful for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I talk about the case in this year? Because I just joined yeah. the, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, perfect. Uh, yeah. By the way, in general, uh, the platform that we can serve some information about the trafficking case this mainly is a twitter uh-huh. okay uh right now we can we have done so far for 11 cases that uh successful with a less uh and less cues by the way we found yeah. that uh 10 cases 10 cases that come from twitter just only one that come from the facebook i don't know in us or another part of thailand uh, another part of the world, but uh, Twitter in Thailand is seem like is too really easy to post, and everyone can be another person in the social network like Awatan. As it turns out, the social network experience in Thailand can be just as confusing as it is here in the U.S. It can be difficult to distinguish between what is real or true and what isn't. Catfishing or falsely posing as another individual takes place online, especially on Twitter's social network in Thailand. Traffickers in Thailand can exploit this anonymity, hiding their identity behind an online profile that allows them to market commercial sexual services, which often, but not always, 
are hiding illicit and illegal services involving the sale of minors. Just as a reminder, based on the United Nations definitions, any sale of minors for the purpose of sexual services is human trafficking. I'm curious to know um, when you are when you when your team is performing investigations on Twitter, what kind of um, tweets or like posts are you looking for that might indicate that trafficking is taking place? Yeah, we're looking for some keyword. When we search in okay. uh, Twitter, uh, this is in Thai word like lapngan. Uh, lapngan is mean uh, we have boy or girls to serve it for you or something like that. But this is a keyword that we uh, uh, looking to the Twitter when we when we uh, search more information. As I told you that the Twitter in Thailand is like uh, uh, advertisement for the trafficker because it's uh, really easy uh-huh, and no cost yeah. at all. But when we can connect them, uh, like uh, we uh, connect them via the Twitter by DM, the same message to them. And after that, they will let us to connect to another platform. This is more secure for them. Uh, Live application yeah. is quite popular in Thailand and really piracy for the people uh, separate in group by group. It depends on the purpose of the group. That's why when we uh, connect uh, the trafficker via the Twitter, uh, they will ask us to connect them uh, more piration. And after that, they start to share the information of the service of the boy on the uh, of the minor. I mean, uh-huh. and also many uh-huh. many of them they would like to get some uh, member free. If you want yeah. to go to uh, the like group, this like group that we have many crib, that we have many information of the minor, you have to pay us uh, three hundred baht per month or five hundred baht for half year or something. What Karn is describing here is literally the introduction of a subscription model for illicit content delivered in private message groups on messaging applications like Line in Thailand. If social media is the means of advertisement, these secure messaging apps are the means of cultivating an audience for a potential sale. It's all far more systematized than I ever would have imagined. Exploitation continues to take place in physical encounters, but with the development of such efficient means of communication online, digital exploitation can happen on the regular with far less risk for traffickers. All of this only makes the work of law enforcement and our investigators that much harder. Do you ever, um, do you ever report tweets to Twitter? Um, you know how you can like report it as this might be like offensive content. Um, does the team ever do that? Uh, actually, this is our source. If we report, maybe we we lost of the case. It's not mean that yeah. we we uh, didn't care about that. But this is a thing that we think we can less cues and we can help people more if we go. To that, that's why yeah. we we, yeah. we didn't didn't really pause. That's what I that's what I assumed, but um, so we don't report it because we don't want it to disappear and then not be able to follow up on it and investigate. Um, 
Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that would be helpful is just to hear like one more story about maybe a successful operation that began on Twitter. Okay. Let me give you some uh, examples. This is a, this is a case uh, because a majority of the case uh, that we have done so far uh, is come from the minor boy or girl need some money need some money maybe they come from the uh, the poor family this particular case that alpha team worked on was unique because of the circumstances that led the young survivor a 16 year old boy to be exploited normally alpha team encounters individuals who are victimized because their societal circumstances have made them desperate for any opportunity to earn money in order to care for their family to provide basic human needs so often, survivors are tricked into exploitative jobs under the guise of a legitimate and fair opportunity that is suddenly non-existent once they've committed. However, in this case, the teenager, and we'll call him Lamin, came from a very good background. He was on the soccer team at his local school and had his basic needs met by two loving parents. But he was interested in exciting new things. He wanted to know the world around him, and that made him vulnerable to a local trafficker who befriended him and began to groom him for sinister purposes. I don't know why, but this story just hit me differently. When I hear Karn share about Lamin, I think of the good feeling that we all get when someone shows a little extra interest in who we are and in what we do. There's something so innocent about the feeling that genuine interest in recognition generates in us as humans. I'd go so far as to say that it, it's an innate need. We need that kind of connection with others. Sadly, in Lamon's case, at least one place where he experienced that connection was with an individual who had bad intentions. The trafficker exploited Lamon's basic human desire for connection preying on a vulnerable and impressionable teenager. It's almost too much to process. Uh, but the first, first time that mom and dad, uh, his dad know about it, uh, they are shocked as well. Yeah. But after uh, the social worker work with the police, join hand together and try to explain the story to his parents. Yeah. After that, his parents, they um, realized that it's not just only uh, his son that did something mistake that's come from their side as well. Yeah. Uh, both of uh, mom and dad uh, just give some promise to the police like a uh, they will take care of their boy yeah. and will yeah. uh, keep monitoring and try to uh, let the boy think in the good way. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that his parents are like really involved. That's, that's, um, right. That I hopefully will create a really good future for him. Right, so right, good. right. Layman's parents were shocked to learn about their son's exploitation. It was happening while he was still living in their home. Lamin wasn't being held in a far away place, prevented from travel or from seeing his family. His exploitation was taking place in the margins of his everyday. 
Now, this is an extreme case of the dangers that can exist in the online world, and I don't share it with you to be an alarmist. But I do think it's worth considering and recognizing that healthy habits in the online space aren't just a good thing to consider. They're paramount. How do you even begin to understand what warning signs to look out for as it relates to online exploitation or in-person physical exploitation? And how do you have conversations with loved ones in your life, especially children and teens, about healthy online habits that will prevent them from being taken advantage of by a bad actor online? That's where we're headed next, as I welcome the Exodus Road CEO, Laura Parker, to the podcast. So Laura, I've just heard, we've just heard together a few of these stories, right, of the ways that our alpha team in Thailand have been like courageously working through these these stories, these cases. And I think it's clear that um, social media can, in fact, be a tool for traffickers or for those looking um, to do nefarious things, right, online to other people. Obviously, that isn't everywhere online. And I don't want to be like a doomsayer who's like, stay offline entirely. <laughs> it's a complex conversation. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's this reality that um, that plays into this larger conversation that I hear so often here in the U.S., um, which is people asking a couple questions. One, does human trafficking really happen here in the U.S.? And then two, if so, how is it different than in other places in the world? Does it take place on social media? Do I need to keep my kids fully offline? There's lots of lots of conversations, but I want to kind of focus in on the first few because I know the Exodus Road has spent a lot of time trying to intentionally respond to that that question of does human trafficking happen in the U.S.? And if so, like how is it different here than in other places? We've developed a resource, it's called Traffic Watch Academy, and I wanted to specifically bring you in to to share more about that resource today. So first of all, will you introduce yourself? Uh, So introduce yourself and then we'll talk about Traffic Watch. Yeah, thanks for having me, Preston. So um, I'm Laura Parker and my husband and I founded the organization and I currently serve as the CEO. So tell us a little bit about Traffic Watch Academy. Yeah, so the US version was really based out of our desire to impact trafficking right here in the United States. And I think when we first started this work, we thought everyone would be as enraged as we were at what we were seeing on the ground. But I think the longer we've been in it, the more we've realized it's people aren't enraged because they don't understand what's really happening. They don't understand what's happening globally, but they also don't understand what's really happening right in our own backyards and our own communities. And so we thought, you know, in addition to doing the work on the ground, fighting human trafficking crime, we also needed to take a step in a different direction, maybe, and invest in what does it mean to help educate people understand what the issue is. And so it was really that need to try to spark compassion for those that are affected by human trafficking globally and in the United States and passion to get involved that led us to develop Traffic Watch Academy uh, U.S., which is a two-part training module online for U.S. citizens to learn about what human trafficking is. And as we were doing that creation, we 
we also were able to use the same online learning management system to launch. Well, about we're about to launch next next year in this next month um, a training for police officers in Brazil. So we're really excited about that. That training is a lot more tactically focused. Um, we're actually leveraging Brazilian experts to teach Brazilian law enforcement partners about how to fight human trafficking crime. So that training is a little bit different than our U.S. training modules. But again, we're, we're really excited about both of them. Yeah, I've heard it said here often, and I definitely think this is true, and this is a great way to walk it out. But the first step to fighting human trafficking is understanding it, right? And so um, Traffic Watch Academy becomes this really great opportunity for the average person to say, hey, like I am so passionate about this issue, but maybe I don't fully understand it or I don't understand how I can help respond to it in my local community. Well, Traffic Watch Academy is here to help educate and empower people to actually be able to take part in this global movement to combat human trafficking, right? Yeah, and I think I do think that a lot of times People, human trafficking as an issue itself is so scary and it feels so dark and it feels so complex that people just continue to take like these little baby steps away from the issue instead of towards it because it just feels, it just feels too much and it feels so heavy. And so I think training resources like this are ways for people to take a step towards it, you know, as opposed to continuing to step away from it. And essentially, you know, the farther you are away from an issue, the more apathetic that you feel. And so it's this idea of how do we create an on-ramp for people to engage? Make it top of mind. Yeah, Yeah. totally. And help them have some confidence that they're not getting sucked into the conspiracy theories or some of the misinformation that's out there, but they have real practical, researched understanding of the issue itself. Yeah. So on that note, what kind of information could the average person expect to learn if they took part in Traffic Watch Academy? Yeah. So it's two modules. Um, They're both under 15 minutes. The first one is kind of a human trafficking 101 globally. It's definitions, statistics. There's several stories of what trafficking can look like um, in our global community. So it's just kind of the basics. It gives you a framework. And then the second module is, again, about 15 minutes, and it's all about human trafficking in the United States. So it talks about really practical stories of what it might look like right here in our own backyards, what to look for in your own community. It talks a lot about what are the what are the populations here in the U.S. that are most at risk? And then it ends with really, really practical things that you can do to start stepping towards this issue. Um, and also gives you some resources for what to do if you suspect it right in your own neighborhood. Yeah. Who is Traffic Watch Academy for? Traffic Watch Academy U.S. is for anyone that is interested in learning more about human trafficking. It's totally free. I would say it has kind of a a PG-13 stamp on it. Um, It would be for older teens and up. Definitely probably not a not a kid friendly (laughs) something. Um, And I think parents would definitely want to watch it before they let their teens watch it as well, just depending on how sensitive your your own kid is. You know, I have a 13-year-old daughter who's just highly emotionally sensitive to human suffering, and mm-hmm. um, this this probably wouldn't be a great fit for her at this age in her life. Sure, yeah, so that's a good note. Parents, like, if you're, if you're thinking, hey, this might be a great resource, um, maybe watch it first, totally. understand the content yourself, and then possibly consider watching it with your teenager if you think that they're ready for that kind of conversation. And I would say to that note, it, you know, if 
If you are concerned about human trafficking, um, particularly as it impacts perhaps even the kids in your own life or the older teens in your own life, it's a great resource to ask them to take, even even if you just ask them to take that second module, which is the U.S. focus module, and use that as a way that you can open up a conversation with your own kids about digital safety. So again, it could be a great resource just to start the conversation because those conversations are awkward and sometimes yeah. really How difficult. How do you start that? Yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. And so sometimes it helps to have kind of a, an outside authority to begin that. So one resource for parents could be Traffic Watch Academy, but Laura, you're a parent of teenagers and one adult now um, <laughs> as well. And I'd love to just hear from you, um, from your experience, maybe from one parent to another, what have been some helpful steps or resources for you as you've navigated this conversation of keeping kids safe in this like highly digital and online world that we're in? Yeah, it's really, really hard. I I think one of the most challenging things for parents of preteens and teens to navigate right now is digital safety. I mean, it, you know, our kids, you know, they're 15 years old, they're 13 years old, they're 17. They they just don't have the intellectual development, the skills to deal with the impact that some of their online activity, whether it's on social media or in chat rooms, um, the impact or on text threads, the impact that some of their activities can have. You know, our kids, they we, we hand them these powerful windows into yeah. this dangerous world. Yeah. And then most of us as parents, we step away and we just assume that it's going fine. <laughs> yeah. And we have no idea that actually it's it's a tricky world to navigate. And so I would say, you know, one of the things I've learned, I think with my own kids, and we definitely don't do it perfectly, is we just have those really awkward conversations all the time. And it's totally awkward. And my face gets red, and I stumble over my words, and they get red. And it's a lot of like, ugh, cringing. <laughs> but we just have really consistent conversations yeah. about who they're talking to. We have lots of conversations around appropriate stuff. And I mean, just all of that. So I think that's the first thing is I think parents need to have the courage. They're the adult. You have to have the courage to step in despite your sullen 15-year-old who doesn't want to talk to you. You have to have the guts to start the conversation and have a consistent conversation, consistent check-ins. And then I think the other thing is just that I've learned there's just so many tools and resources out there to help parents keep their kids safe online. You know, there are devices that'll turn off the Wi-Fi at 10 o'clock at night and devices that will like flag any kind of violent or sexually explicit materials in your kids' text threads. And all of that maybe sounds like big brother overkill, but we're talking about like a 14-year-old girl who doesn't yeah. really understand the social media landscape, doesn't really understand what she's getting into. And so I think um, exploring those and investing in those is also super, super important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we'll link um, in the show notes to some resources that we've put together here at the Exodus Road to help parents navigate parenting in a, in a digital and online world. Um, you may remember if you're a listener to the podcast, we had Cheryl Cosmerill on, um, we'll link to that episode as well. So just a collection of resources to help um, in the midst of this. 
But I do want to just jump back to Traffic Watch Academy now. Two roughly 15 to 20 minute modules. Mm-hmm. Um, how much does it cost to participate in it? It's free. <laughs> <laughs> um, <Ba-dum-tsh>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally yeah. free. Um, yeah, totally free. We just want to give it as a gift and a resource uh, to our friends and family all around the world on this issue. We believe in it. We have learned so much along the way, and yeah. we just want it to be helpful. Yeah, and you know, personally speaking, as someone who's gone through Traffic Watch Academy, I think one of the really cool benefits to it also is the certification that it provides. So you take part in it, and then you get access to this course certificate that shows that you've completed um, training on the signs of human trafficking and how to fight it. I think that's valuable. I mean, I think um, especially as um, people are just thinking about um, their own per- like personal and professional development, it can be a really um, helpful resource. So. Um, obviously, do it for the learning itself, but also um, you get certified through it, and that's a really neat added bonus as mm-hmm. well. So Absolutely. How can people take part? So, um, yeah, I'm sure we'll have the the link in the show yeah. notes. But, um, but yeah, theexodusroad.com slash traffic watch, and there's a, a large button there at the top, yeah. and you just can go ahead and, um, yeah, enroll right there. And, and again, can immediately enroll 30 minutes kind of start to finish so um yeah super easy yeah all right thanks laura thanks for joining us absolutely thanks for having me thanks so much for joining us on this episode of until all are free as i mentioned i'll be linking to traffic watch academy and a few of the other resources including cheryl cosmerl's episode of until all are free in the show notes but you can also find that on our website at the slash podcast Until All Are Free is a podcast by The Exodus Road. We're a nonprofit with a vision for a world in which humans are never bought, sold, or exploited. The podcast is hosted and produced by me, Preston Goff, and the music that you've heard on the intro and outro of this episode was produced and generously donated by City of Sound. Hey, if you haven't had a chance to review the podcast, I want to encourage you to do so, especially if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts. Your support of this show and our efforts as an organization mean the world to us, and we're so grateful to have you on this journey with us, together for freedom.